Section six of Atlantic Narratives Modern Short Stories, Second Series, published nineteen eighteen by the Atlantic Monthly Press. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Buried Treasure by Mazo de la Roche. Part one. It was Saturday morning, and we three were together in Mrs. Handsomebody's parlor, Angel and the Seraph and I. No sooner had the front door closed upon the tall, angular figure of that lady, bearing her market-basket, than we shut our books with a snap, ran on tiptoe to the top of the stairs, and after a moment's breathless listening, cast our young forms on the smooth walnut banister, and glided gloriously to the bottom regularly on a saturday morning mrs handsomebody went to market and with equal regularity we her pupils instantly cast off the yoke of her restraint slid down the banisters and entered the forbidden precincts of the parlor on other weekdays the shutters of this grim apartment were kept closed and an inquisitive eye applied to the keyhole could just faintly discern the portrait in crayon of the late mr handsomebody presiding like some whiskered ghost over the revels of the stuffed birds in the glass case below him but on a saturday morning mary ellen swept and dusted there the shutters were thrown open and the thin-legged piano and the haircloth furniture were furbished up for the morrow moreover mary ellen liked our company she had a spooky feeling about the parlor mr handsomebody gave her the creeps she said and once when she had turned her back she had heard one of the stuffed birds twitter it was a gruesome thought when we bounded in on her mary ellen was dragging the broom feebly across the gigantic green and red lilies of the carpet her bare red arms moving like listless antenna she could when she willed work vigorously and well but no one knew when a heavy mood might seize her and render her as useless as was compatible with retaining her situation ah boys she groaned leaning on her broom this spring weather do be making me wake as a blind kitten sure i feel this morning like i'd as if a stone settin on my stomach and me head feels as light as thistledown i wish the missus forget to come home and i could take a day off but there's no such luck for mary ellen she made a few more passes with her broom and then sighed i think i'll soon be leaving this place she said a vision of the house without the cheering presence of mary ellen rose blackly before us we crowded round her now see here said angel masterfully putting his arms about her stout waist you know perfectly well that father's coming back from south america soon to make a home for us and that you are to come and be our cook and make apple dumplings and have all the followers you like now angel knew whereof he spoke for mary ellen's followers were a bone of contention between her and her mistress ah master angel she expostulated what a tongue ye have in your head to be sure followers is it sure they're the bane o me life now get out of the way of the dust all is or i'll put a tin ear on ye and she began to swing her broom vigorously we ran to the window and looked out but no sooner had we looked out than we whistled with astonishment at what we saw 
but first i must tell you that the street on which we lived ran east and west on the corner to the west of mrs handsomebody's house was the gray old cathedral next to it was the bishop's house of gray stone also and then a pair of dingy white brick houses exactly alike in one of these we lived with mrs handsomebody and the other was the home of mr and mrs mortimer pegg and their three servants to us they seemed very elegant if somewhat uninteresting people mrs mortimer pegg frequently had carriage callers and not seldom sallied forth herself in a sedate victoria from the livery stables but beyond an occasional flutter of excitement when their horses stopped at our very gate there was little in this prim couple to interest us so neat and precise were they as they tripped down the street together that we called them out of mrs handsomebody's hearing mr and mrs cribbage pig now on this morning in early spring when we looked out of the window our eyes discovered an object of such compelling interest in the pegs front garden that we rubbed them again to make sure that we were broad awake striding up and down the small enclosure was a tall old man wearing a brilliant hued flowered dressing gown that hung open at the neck disclosing his long brown throat and hairy chest and flapped negligently about his heels as he strode he had bushy iron-gray hair and moustache and tufts of curly gray beard grew around his chin and ears his nose was large and sunburned and every now and again he would stop in his caged animal walk and sniff the air as though he liked it i liked the old gentleman from the start Ooh, see the funny old man giggled the seraph coat like jacob and his brethren angel and i plied mary ellen with questions who was he did he live with the pegs did she think he was a foreigner mary ellen supported by her broom stared out of the window for the love of heaven she ejaculated if that ain't a sight now boys it's mr pegg's own father come home from somewheres in the indies and the cook was telling me of the time they had with him he's a bit light-headed you see and has all his meals in his own room the queerest dishes ever and a starlin for a pet mind ye at that moment the old gentleman perceived that he was watched and saluting mary ellen gallantly he called out good morning madam mary ellen covered with confusion drew back behind the curtain i was about to make a suitable reply when i saw mrs mortimer pegg herself emerge from her house with a very red face and resolutely grasp a father-in-law's arm she spoke to him in a rapid undertone and after a moment's hesitation he followed her meekly into the house how i sympathized with him i knew only too well the humiliation experienced by the helpless male when an overbearing woman drags him ignominiously from his harmless recreation a bond of understanding seemed to be established between us at once the voice of mary ellen broke in on my reverie she was teasing angel to sing oh give us a tune master angel before the missus gets back there's a duck i'll give you a pocket full of raisins as sure as fate angel was the possessor of a flute-like treble and he could strum some sort of accompaniment on the piano to any song it was mary ellen's delight on a saturday morning to pour forth her pent-up feelings in one of the popular songs with angel to keep her on the tune and thump a chord or two it was a risky business 
but the seraph mounted guard at the window while i pressed my nose against the glass case which held the stuffed birds and wondered if by chance any of them had come from south america where father was tum de tum de dum strummed angel casey would waltz with the strawberry blonde and the band played on his sweet reedy tunes thrilled the april air and mary ellen's voice robust as the whistle of a locomotive bursting with health and spirits shook the very cobwebs that she had not swept down casey would waltz with the strawberry blonde and the band played on generally we had a faithful subordinate in the seraph he had a rather sturdy sense of honor on this spring morning however i think that the singing of mary ellen must have dulled his sensibilities for instead of keeping a bright lookout up the street for the dreaded form of mrs handsomebody he lolled across the window-sill dangling a piece of string with the april sunshine warming his rounded back and as he dangled the string mrs handsomebody drew nearer and nearer she entered the gate she entered the house she was in the parlor angel and mary ellen had just given their last triumphant shout when mrs handsomebody said in a voice of cold fury mary ellen kindly cease that ribald screaming david david is angel's proper name get up instantly from that piano stool and face me john alexander face me we did so tremblingly now said mrs handsomebody you three boys go up to your bedroom not to the schoolroom mind and don't let me hear another sound from you today you shall get no dinner at four i will come and discuss your disgraceful conduct with you now march she held the door open for us while we filed sheepishly under her arm and then the door closed behind us with a decisive bang and poor mary ellen was left in the torture chamber with mrs handsomebody and the stuffed birds part two angel and i scurried up the stairway we could hear the seraph panting as he labored after us once in the haven of our own little room we rolled in a confused heap on the bed scruffling indiscriminately such a punishment was not new to us it was a favorite one with mrs handsomebody and we had a suspicion that she relished the fact that so much food was saved when we went dinnerless at any rate we were not allowed to make up the deficiency at tea-time we always passed the hours of our confinement on the bed for the room was very small and the one window stared blankly at the window of an unused room in the peg's house which blankly returned the stare but these were not dull times for us as elizabethan actors striding about their bare stage conjured up brave pictures of gilded halls or leafy forest glades and so we little fellows made a castle stronghold of our bed or better still a gallant frigate that sailed beyond the barren walls into the unknown seas of adventure and anchored at last off some rocky island where treasure lay hidden among the hills what brave fights with pirates there were when angel as captain i as mate the seraph for a cabin boy fought the bloody pirate gangs on those surf-washed shores and gained the fight though far outnumbered they were not dull times in that small back room but gay-colored lawless times when our fancy was let free and we fought on empty stomachs and felt only the wind in our faces and heard the creak of straining cordage what if we were on half rations on this particular morning however 
there was something to be disposed of before we got to business to wit the rank insubordination of the seraph it was not to be dealt with too lightly angel sat up with a disheveled head get up he commanded the seraph who obeyed wonderingly now my man continued angel with a scowl that had made him dreaded the south seas over have you anything to say for yourself the seraph hung his head i was only dangling a bit of swing he murmured string repeated angel the scowl deepening dangling a bit of string you may be dangling yourself at the end of a rope before the sun sets my hearty here we are without any dinner all along of you now see here you'll go right over into that corner by the window with your face to the wall and stand there all the time john and i play and and you won't know what we're doing nor where we're going nor anything so there the seraph went weeping bitterly he hid his face in the dusty lace window curtain he looked rather small i could not help remembering how father had said we were to take care of him and not make him cry somehow that morning things went ill with the adventure the savor had gone out of our play two were but a paltry company after all where was the cabin boy with his trusty dirk eager to bleed for the cause though we kept our backs rigorously turned to the window and spoke only in whispers neither of us was quite able to forget the presence of that dejected little figure after a bit the seraph's whimpering ceased and what was our surprise to hear the chuckling laugh with which he was wont to signify his pleasure we turned to look at him his face was pressed to the window and again he giggled rapturously what's up kid we demanded old joseph and his brethren he sputtered winking and waving hands with me we were at his side like a shot and there in the hitherto blank window of the peg's house stood the old gentleman of the flowered dressing gown laughing and nodding at the seraph when he saw us he made a sign to us to open our window and at the same instant raised his own it took the three of us to accomplish it for the window moved unreadily being seldom raised as mrs handsomebody regarded fresh air much as she regarded a small boy as something to be kept in its place at last the window rose protesting and creaking and the next moment we were face to face with our new acquaintance hello he said in a loud jovial voice hello said we and stared he had a strong weather-beaten face and wide-open light eyes blue and wild as the sea hello boy he repeated looking at angel what's your name now angel was shy with strangers so i usually answered questions his name i replied then is david curzon but mother called him angel so we just kept on doing it oh said the old gentleman and then he fixed the seraph with his eye what's the bantling's name the seraph mightily confused at being called a bantling giggled inanely so i replied again his name is alexander curzon but mother called him the seraph so we just keep on doing it too mm-hmm assented the old gentleman and you what's your name john i replied oh he said with an odd little smile and what do they keep on calling you just john i answered firmly nothing else who's your father came the next question he's david curzon senior i said proudly and he's in south america building a railroad and mrs handsomebody used to be his governess when he was a little boy so he left us with her 
but some day pretty soon i think he's coming back to make a really home for us with rabbits and puppies and pigeons and things our new friend nodded sympathetically and then quite suddenly he asked where's your mother she's in heaven i answered simply she went there two years ago yes broke in the seraph eagerly but she's coming back some day to make a wheelie home for us shut up said angel gruffly poking him with his elbow the seraph's very little i explained apologetically he doesn't understand the old gentleman put his hand in the pocket of his dressing gown bantling he said with his droll smile do you like peppermint bull's eyes yes said the seraph i like them one for each of us whereupon this extraordinary man began throwing us peppermints as fast as we could catch them it was surprising how we began to feel at home with him as though we had known him for years he had traveled all over the world it seemed and he brought many curious things to the window to show us one of these was a starling whose wicker cage he placed on the sill where the sunlight fell he had got the bird he said from one of the crew of a trading vessel off the coast of java the sailor had brought it all the way from devon for company and he added the brute had put out both its eyes so that it would learn to talk more readily so now you see the poor little fellow's quite blind 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 echoed the starling briskly blind 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 he took it from its cage on his finger it hopped up his arm till it reached his cheek and there it began to peck at his whiskers crying all the while in its shrill lonely tones blind 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 we three were entranced and an idea that was swiftly forming in my mind struggled for expression if this wonderful old man had as he said sailed the seas from land's end to ceylon was it not possible that he had seen even fought with real pirates might he not have followed hot on the trail of hidden treasure my cheeks burned as i tried to put the question did you i began did you well he encouraged did i what john oh did you i burst out ever see a pirate ship and pirates real ones his face lit up surely he replied casually many and one perhaps ventured angel with an excited laugh perhaps you're one yourself the old gentleman searched our eager faces with his wide open sea blue eyes and then he looked cautiously into the room behind him and being apparently satisfied that no one could overhear he put his hand to the side of his mouth and said in a loud hoarse whisper that i am pirate as ever was i think you could have knocked me down with a feather i know my knees shook and the room reeled the seraph was the first to recover piping cheerfully i yike pirates yes repeated the old gentleman reflectively pirate as ever was the things i've seen and done would fill the biggest book you ever saw and it'd make your hair stand on end to read it what with fights and murders and hangings and storms and shipwreck and the hunt for gold many a sweet schooner or frigate i've sunk or taken for myself and there isn't a port on the south seas where women don't hush their children's crying with a fear of captain pegg and then he added hastily as though he feared he had gone too far but i'm a changed man mark you a reformed man if things suit me pretty well here i don't think i shall break out again it's just that you chaps seem so sympathetic makes me tell you all this but you must swear never to breathe a word of it for no one knows but you 
My son and daughter-in-law think I'm an archaeologist. It'd be an awful shock to them to find that I'm a pirate. We swore the blackest secrecy, and were about to ply him with a hundred questions when we saw a maid carrying a large tray enter the room behind him. Captain Pegg, as I must call him now, gave us a gesture of warning and began to lower his window. A pleasant aroma of roast beef came across the alley. The next instant the flower dressing gown had disappeared, and the window opposite stared blankly as before. Angel drew a deep breath. Did you notice, he said, how different he got once he told us he was a pirate? Wilder and rougher, and used more sailor words. However did you guess it first, I asked admiringly. I think I know a pirate when I see one, he returned loftily. But, oh, I say, wouldn't Mrs. Handsomebody be waxy if she knew? And wouldn't Mary Ellen be scared stiff if she knew? And won't we have fun? Hooray! We rolled in ecstasy on the much-enduring bed. We talked excitedly of the possibilities of such a wonderful and dangerous friendship, and as it turned out, none of our imaginings equaled what really happened. The afternoon passed quickly. As the hands of our alarm clock neared the hour of four, we obliterated the traces of our sojourn on the bed as well as we could, and when Mrs. Handsomebody entered, she found us sitting in a row in the three cane-bottomed chairs on which we hung our clothes at night. The scolding she gave us was even longer and more humiliating to our manhood than usual. She shook her hard white finger near our faces, and said that for very little she would write to our father and complain of our actions. Now, she said in conclusion, give your faces and hands a thorough washing and comb your hair, which is disgraceful, and then come quietly down to tea. The door closed behind her. What beats me, said Angel, lathering his hands, is why that one white hair on her chin wiggles so when she jaws us. I can't keep my eyes off it. It wiggles, piped the seraph, as he dragged a brush over his curls, cause it's nervous, and I wiggle when she scolds too, cause I'm nervous. Don't you worry, old man, Angel responded gaily. We'll take care of you. We were in fine spirits, despite our scolding. Indeed. We almost pitied Mrs. Handsomebody for her ignorance of the wonders among which she had her being. Here she was, fussing over some stuffed birds in a glass case, when a live starling who could talk had perched near her very window-sill. She spent hours in conversation with her Unitarian minister, while a real pirate lived next door. It was pitiful, and yet it was funny. We found it hard to go quietly down to tea with such thoughts in our minds, and after five hours in our bedroom. Part three. The next day was Sunday. As we sat at dinner with Mrs. Handsomebody after morning service, we were scarcely conscious of the large white dumplings that bulged before us with a delicious sticky sweet sauce trickling down their dropsical sides. We plied our spoons with languid interest around their outer edges, as calves nibble around a straw stack. Our vagrant minds scoured the Spanish main with Captain Pegg. Suddenly the seraph spoke in that cocksure way of his. "'There's a pirate at Pegg's!' Mrs. Handsomebody looked at him sharply. "'What's that?' she demanded. At the same instant Angel and I kicked him under cover of the dining-table. "'What did you say?' repeated Mrs. Handsomebody sternly. 
funny old gentleman at quibbage pegs replied the seraph with his mouth full mrs handsomebody greatly respected mr and mrs mortimer pegg and this play of words on the name incensed her am i to understand alexander she gobbled that you are making game of the mortimer pegs yes giggled the wretched seraph it's a quibbage game you play it with pegs leave the table instantly ordered mrs handsomebody you are becoming unbearable the seraph cast one anguished look at his dumpling and burst into tears we could hear his wails growing ever fainter as he plodded up the stairs mary ellen remove that dumpling commanded mrs handsomebody angel and i began to eat very fast there was a short silence and then mrs handsomebody said didactically the elder mr pegg is a much traveled gentleman and one of the most noted archaeologists of the day a trifle eccentric in his manner perhaps but a deep thinker david can you tell me what an archaeologist is something you pretend you are said angel and you ain't nonsense snapped mrs handsomebody look it up in your johnson's when you go upstairs and let me know the result i will excuse you now we found the seraph lounging in a chair in the schoolroom too bad about the dumpling old boy i said consolingly oh not too bad he replied mary ellen fetched it up the back stairs to me i'm very full that afternoon we saw captain pegg go for a walk with his son and daughter-in-law he looked quite altered in a long gray coat and tall hat mr and mrs mortimer pegg seemed proud to walk with him the following day was warm and sunny when lessons were over we rushed to our bedroom window and to our joy found that the window opposite was wide open the wicker cage on the sill with the starling inside swelling up and preening himself in the sunshine while just beyond sat captain pegg smoking a long pipe he seemed delighted to see us avast my hearties he cried it's glorious sailing weather but i've just been lying at anchor here on the chance of sighting you it does my heart good you see to talk with some of my own kind and leave off pretending to be an archaeologist to stretch my mental legs as it were well have you taken your bearings this morning captain pegg i broke out with my heart dripping against my blouse you said something the other day about buried treasure did you really find some and would you mind telling us how you set about it yes he replied meditatively many a sack of treasure trove i've unearthed but the most curious find of all i got without searching and without blood being spilt i was lying quiet those days about forty years ago off the north of orkney islands well one morning i took a fancy to explore some of the outlying rocks and little islands dotted here and there so i started off in a yawl with four seamen to row me and not seeing much but barren rocks and stunted shrubs about i bent over the stern and stared into the sea it was as clear as crystal as we were passing through a narrow channel between two rocky islands i bade the men rest on their oars for something strange below had arrested my attention i now could see plainly in the green depths a spanish galleon standing upright held as in a vice by the grip of two great rocks she must have gone down with all hands when the greater part of the spanish armada was wrecked on the shores of britain shiver my timber lads i cried here'll be treasure in earnest back to the ship for our diving suits booty for everyone and plum duff for dinner well to make a long story short 
I and four of my trustiest of the crew put on our diving suits, and soon we were walking the slippery decks once trodden by Spanish grandees and soldiers, and the scene of many a bloody fight I'll be bound. Their skeletons lay about the deck, wrapped in sea-tangle, and from every crevice of the galleon tall red and green and yellow and purple weeds had sprung, that waved and shivered with the motion of the sea. Her decks were strewn with shells and sand, and in and out of her rotted ribs frightened fish darted at our approach. It was a gruesome sight. Three weeks we worked, carrying the treasure to our own ship, and I began to feel as much at home under water as above it. At last we set sail without mishap, and every man on board had his share, and some of them gave up pirating and settled down as innkeepers and tradesmen. As the sound of his deep voice ceased, we three were silent also, gazing longingly into his eyes that was so like the sea. Then, Captain Pegg, said Angel in a small, still voice, I don't suppose you'd know of any hidden treasure hereabouts. We'd most awfully like to find some. It'd be a jolly thing to write and tell father. A droll smile flickered over the bronze features of Captain Pegg. He brought down his fist on the window sill. Well, if you aren't chaps after my own heart, he cried. Treasure about here. I was just coming to that. And the most curious happening it is. There was a cabin boy name of Jenks, a lad that I trusted and loved like my own son, who stole the greater part of my share of the treasure, and though I scoured the globe for him, the captain's eyes rolled fiercely, I found neither trace of him nor the treasure, till two years ago. It was in Madagascar that I received a message from a dying man confessing that, shaken by remorse, he had brought what was left of the plunder and buried it in Mrs. Handsomebody's backyard. Mrs. Handsomebody's backyard, we chanted the words in utter amazement. Just that, affirmed Captain Pegg solemnly. Jenks found out that I owned the house next door. But he dared not bury the treasure there, because the yard was smoothly sodded, and would show up any disturbance, while Mrs. H's yard, being covered with planks, was just the thing. So he simply raised one of the planks, dug a hole, and deposited the sack containing the last of the treasure, and wrote me his confession, and there you are. He smiled benignly on us. I longed to hug him. The wind swooped and whistled down the alley and the starling gave little sharp twittering noises and cocked his head. When? Oh, when? we burst out. Tonight? May we search for it tonight, Captain Pegg? He reflected. No, not tonight. Jenks, you see, sent me a plan of the yard, with a cross to mark where the treasure lies, and I'll have to hunt it up so as not to waste our time turning up the whole yard. But tomorrow night? Yes, tomorrow at midnight we'll start the search. Part Four. At dinner that day, the rice pudding had the flavor of ambrosia. By nightfall, preparations were already on foot. First, the shovel had to be smuggled from the coal cellar and secreted in a corner of the yard behind the ash barrel, together with an iron crowbar to use as a lever, and an empty sack to aid in the removal of the treasure. I scarcely slept that night and when I did my mind was filled with wild imaginings. The next morning we were heedless scholars indeed, and at dinner I ate so little that Mrs. Handsomebody was moved to remark jocularly that somebody, not a thousand miles away, 
was shaping for a bilious bout. At four o'clock, Captain Pegg appeared at his window, looking the picture of cheerful confidence. He said it warmed his heart to be at his old profession again, and indeed I never saw a merrier twinkle in anyone's eyes. He had found the plan of the yard sent by Jenks, and he had no doubt that we should soon be in possession of the Spanish treasure. But there's one thing, my lads, he said solemnly. I make no claim whatever to any share in this booty. Let that be understood. Anything we find is to be yours entirely. If I were to take any such goods into my son's house, his wife would get suspicious, and uncomfortable questions would be asked, and it'd be all up with this archaeologist business. Couldn't you hide it under your bed? I suggested. Oh, she'd be sure to find it, he replied sadly. She's into everything, and even if they didn't locate it until I'm dead, they'd feel disgraced to think their father had been a pirate. You'll have to take it. We agreed, therefore, to ease him of the responsibility of his strangely gotten gain. We then parted, with the understanding that we were to meet him in the alley between the two houses promptly at midnight, and that in the meantime we were to preserve a calm and commonplace demeanor. With the addition of four crullers and a slab of cold bread pudding filched from the pantry, our preparations were now complete. We were well-disciplined little animals. We always went to bed without a murmur. But on this night we literally flew there. The seraph ended his prayers with, And for this pirate treasure, make us truly thankful. Amen. The next moment we had dived under the bedclothes and snuggled there in wild expectancy. From half-past seven to twelve is a long stretch. The seraph slept peacefully. Angel or I rose every little while and struck a match to look at the clock. At nine we were so hungry that we ate all four crullers. At eleven we ate the slab of cold bread pudding. After that we talked less, and I think Angel dozed. But I lay staring in the direction of the window, watching for the brightness which would signify that Captain Pegg was astir and had lighted his gas. At last it came, a pale and trembling messenger that showed our little room to me in a new aspect, one of mystery and grotesque shadows. I was on my feet in an instant. I shook Angel's shoulder. Up with you, I whispered hoarsely. The hour has come. I knew that drastic measures must be taken with the seraph, so I just grasped him under the armpits and stood him on his feet without a word. He wobbled for a space, digging his knuckles in his eyes. The hands of the clock pointed to ten minutes to twelve. Angel and I hastily pulled on our trousers, and he, who liked to dress the part, stuck a knife in his belt and twisted a scarlet silk handkerchief, borrowed from Mary Eleven, round his head. His dark eyes glistened under its folds. The seraph and I went unadorned, save that he girt his trusty sword about his stout middle, and I carried a toy bayonet. Down the inky black stairs we crept, scarcely breathing. The lower hall seemed cavernous. I could smell the old carpets and the haircloth covering of the chairs. We sidled down the back hall, among galoshes, umbrellas, and Turks' head-dusters. The back door had a key like that of a jail. Angel tried it with both hands, but though it grated horribly, it stuck. Then I had a try, and could not resist a triumphant click of the tongue when it turned. 
for Angel was a vain fellow and took a rise out of being the elder. And when the moonlight shone upon us in the yard, oh, the delicious freedom of it, we hopped for joy. In the alley we awaited our leader. Between the houses we could see the low half-moon hanging like a tilted bird's nest in the dark blue sky, while a group of stars fluttered near it like young birds. The cathedral chimes sounded the hour of midnight. Soon we heard the stealthy steps of Captain Pegg, and we gasped as we saw him. For in place of his flower-dressing gown, he wore breeches and top-boots, a loose shirt with a blue neckerchief knotted at the throat, and gleaming at his side, a cutlass. He smiled broadly when he saw us. "'Well, if you aren't armed, every man jack of you, even to the bantling,' he cried. "'Capital!' my sword she's wheel said the seraph with dignity sometimes i fight giants captain pegg then shook hands with each of us in turn and we thrilled at being treated as an equal by such a man and now to work he said heartily here is the plan of the yard as sent by jenks we could see it plainly now by the moonlight all neatly drawn out even to the ash barrel and the clothes dryer and there on the fifth plank from the end was a cross in red ink, and beside it the magic word, Treasure. Captain Pegg inserted the crowbar in a wide crack between the fourth and fifth boards, and then we all pressed our full weight upon it with a Yo! Heave ho, my hearties, from our chief. The board flew up, and we flew down, sprawling on the ground. Somehow the captain, being versed in such matters, kept his feet, though he staggered a bit, then in an instant we were pulling widely at the plank to dislodge it this we accomplished after much effort and a dark dank recess was disclosed captain pegg dropped to his knees and with his hand explored cautiously under the planks his face fell shiver my timbers if i can find it he muttered let me try i cried eagerly both angel and i thrust our hands in also and fumbled among the moist lumps of earth captain pegg now lighted a match and held it at the aperture it cast a glow upon our tense faces hold it closer implored angel this way right here don't you see at the same moment we both had seen the heavy metal ring that projected ever so little above the surface of the earth we grasped it simultaneously and pulled Captain Pegg lighted another match. It was heavy, oh, so heavy, but we got it out, a fair-sized leather bag bound with thongs. To one of these was attached the ring we had first caught sight of. Now, kneeling as we were, we stared up in Captain Pegg's face. His wide blue eyes had somehow got a different look. Little boys, he said gently, open it and there in the moonlight we unloosed the fastening of the bag and turned its contents out upon the bare boards the treasure lay disclosed then a glimmering heap as if out of the dank earth we had digged a patch of moonshine we squatted on the boards around it our heads touching our wondering eyes filled with the magic of it it is treasure murmured angel in an awestruck voice real treasure trove Will you tell us, Captain Pegg, what all these things are? Captain Pegg, squatting like the rest of us, ran his hands meditatively through the strange collection. Why, strike me purple, he growled, if that scamp Jenks 
hasn't kept most of the gold coins and left us only the silver but here's three golden doubloons all right one apiece for ye and here's ducats and silver florins and pieces of eight and some i can't name till i get the daylight on them it is a pretty piece of treasure all told and see here he held up two old spanish watches just the thing for gentlemen adventurers we boys were now delving into the treasure on our own account and brought to light a brace of antiquated pistols an old silver flagon a compass a wonderful set of chessmen carved from ivory and some curious shells that delighted the seraph and other quaint things there were that we handled reverently and coins of different countries square and round and some with holes bored through we were so intent upon our discovery that none of us heard the approaching footsteps till they were fair upon us then with a start we turned and saw to our horror mrs handsomebody and mary ellen with her hair in curl papers and close behind them mr and mrs mortimer pegg scantily attired the gentleman carrying a revolver david john alexander gobbled mrs handsomebody now what do you think of that came from mary ellen father have you gone quite mad cried mrs pegg and oh i say governor stammered the gentleman with the revolver captain pegg rose to his feet with dignity these young gentlemen he said simply have with my help been able to locate some buried treasure which was stolen from me years ago by a man named jinks and has lain hidden here since two decades i hereby renounce all claim to it in favor of my three brave friends mr pegg was bent over the treasure now look here sir he said rather sharply some of this seems to be quite valuable stuff i know the value of it to a penny replied his father with equal asperity and i intend that it shall belong solely and wholly to these boys whatever are you rigged up like that for demanded his daughter-in-law as gentlemen of spirit replied captain pegg patiently we chose to dress the part we do what we can to keep a little glamour and gaiety in the world some folk he looked at mrs handsomebody would like to discipline it all away i think said our governess that considering it's my backyard i have some claim to none at all madam none at all interrupted captain pegg by all the rules of treasure hunting the finder keeps the treasure mrs handsomebody was silenced she did not wish to quarrel with the pegs mrs pegg moved closer to her mrs handsomebody she said winking her white eyelashes very fast i really do not think that you should allow your pupils to accept this uh, treasure my father-in-law has become very eccentric of late and i am positive that he himself buried these things very recently only day before yesterday i saw that set of ivory chessmen on his writing-table hold your tongue sophia shouted captain pegg loudly mr mortimer pegg looked warningly at his wife all right governor don't you worry he said taking his father's arm it shall be just as you say but one thing is certain you'll take your death of cold if you stay out in this night air and as he spoke he turned up the collar of his coat captain pegg shook hands with a grand air with angel and me and then he lifted the seraph in his arms and kissed him good night bantling 
he said softly. Sleep tight. He turned then to his son. Mort, said he, I haven't kissed a little boy like that since you were just so high. Mr. Pegg laughed and shivered, and they went off quite amiably, arm in arm. Mrs. Pegg following, muttering to herself. Mrs. Handsomebody looked disparagingly at the treasure. Mary Ellen, she ordered, help the children to gather up that rubbish and come in at once. Such an hour it is. Mary Ellen, with many exclamations, assisted in the removal of the treasure to our bedroom, and Mrs. Handsomebody, after seeing it deposited there, and us safely under the bedclothes, herself extinguished the gas. I shall write to your father, she said severely, and tell him the whole circumstance. Then we shall see what is to be done with you and with the treasure. And with this veiled threat she left us. We snuggled our little bodies together. We were cold. I'll write to father myself tomorrow and explain everything, I announced. Do you know, mused Angel, I believe I'll be a pirate, instead of a civil engineer like father. I believe there's more in it. I'll be an engineer just the same, said I. I think, murmured the seraph sleepily, I think I'll just be a bishop and go to bed at proper times and have poached eggs for tea. End of story. Biographical and Interpretive Notes by Charles Swain Thomas. Buried Treasure. Miss Mazo de la Roche has attained her most notable literary success in buried treasure. So apparent is this success that a moving picture company has recently asked the privilege of producing this story. One suspects that Mrs. Mortimer Pegg never was a little girl. One is surprised to learn that Mr. Mortimer Pegg was, in a mysterious long ago, just so high. That Mrs. Handsomebody issued from some unnameable monstrosity a full-fledged, much-starched governess is beyond doubt. If not, how could they fail to enter with zest into the midnight treasure hunt? What a wonderful scene it is! A burly old pirate in leather jerkin-breeches and top-boots, not to mention a gleaming cutlass, surrounded by an angel, a seraph, and just John, with as bloodthirsty appointments all intent on the treasure-trove mysteriously located in Mrs. Handsomebody's back yard. And then come the grown-ups. Poor Mr. Pegg must return to the disguise of an archaeologist and the realms of respectable age. Suggested Points for Study and Comment 1. Divide the story into scenes for a motion-picture production. What would be the most regrettable loss in such a representation? 2. What do the names of the characters contribute to the charm of the story? Are they any help to your interpretation of the characters? 3. Comment on the characterization of Mary Ellen. Is she a type? Are there any other characters that you recognize as types? And do the presence of these detract from the real interest of the story? And 4. Discuss the author's power of word selection and striking comparisons. What does this power add to her style? End of section 6